Growing up, I, I wasn't what you would consider a, a model student. I've shared some of these stories before. I, I was the kid who, who counted down each and every day on the calendar until Christmas break came. Then I did the same thing with spring break and, and summer break and every break in between. I, I didn't really, I, I guess you could say, enjoy school. And, and I tried to get by with as little effort as I could to do as, as little as possible. When I got to college, I kind of had this, this rude awakening. It was hard. Professors weren't as lenient as my, my previous teachers, and, and cliff notes and, and book summaries, they, they weren't cutting it. I finally had to learn how to actually study. Now, seminary was, was hot and, and cold. Uh, typically, seminary, it's, it's a, a full-time, three-year program. But instead of kind of taking that normal direct route, I worked at a couple churches while I was in seminary, and I took a class here and a class there. And so it took me about twice as long to finish the degree as it does normally. And needless to say, it was an odd feeling about seven years ago when I found myself actually missing school. So I, I enrolled in a doctoral program that, that I was supposed to finish earlier this month, earlier this December. But instead of submitting my final doctoral project, I, I was filling out the paperwork for a year-long extension. Now I read the, the first words of the application for this extension, and, and I couldn't help but laugh. It, it said this, it said, Please describe the circumstances that were behind or beyond, please describe the circumstances that were beyond your control from finishing this program on time. It, it only took a day for, for the extension to be, to be granted, uh, but I'm not sure if there's a better summary for this year, for 2020, than, than the phrase, circumstances beyond our control. If, if this year has reminded us of anything, and it's reminded us of a lot of things, it's that we have far less control than we think we do. We can write goals, we can craft calendars and, and map out direction for where we think our lives are going a year down the road, two years down the road, five years down the road. But sometimes our plans are disrupted. With all that 2020 has, has thrown at us, as most of us have spent a bit more time in our homes, I figured that during Advent, as a church, we would dive in what it would have looked like or what it may have been like to be around or in the home in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. So during the first week of Advent, we looked at the innkeeper, or as I like to refer to him as the homeowner, as he opened his door uh, along with his family, they, they, they waited, presumably nearby, right next to the stable or the manger, waiting for that newborn cry. They were patient. And, and then last week, we looked at the role of the shepherds, ordinary people who were given the task of sharing an extraordinary message. So, so Advent, it invites us to, to wait, to practice patience like the innkeeper. And to share the extraordinary message of Christmas like the shepherds. But it also invites us to embrace moments of holy disruption. 
The, the innkeeper, the, the innkeeper and the shepherds, they, they couldn't have planned for Jesus' birth. The, their plans were disrupted. The, the same is true with the Magi, and we're going to look at their story a, a little bit next week. We can go through the entire Christmas story, the list of everyone involved in it, from, from Caesar and his census to Elizabeth and Zachariah to, to Mary's cousins, everyone. Their lives are all disrupted by Jesus' birth. But, but I think it's, it's fair to say that it was Mary and Joseph whose lives were disrupted the most, whose plans were disrupted the, the most. So earlier during our service, Pastor John, he read from a pretty well-known passage out of Luke that we, we typically refer to as the Magnificat. Songs are sung about it. And, and it tells the story of, of Mary shaking off the shock of, of being visited by an angel, being told that, that she was, was pregnant, with, with her head probably spinning full of, of all kinds of questions about what this, this meant for for her, what this meant for her relationship with Joseph, their, their engagement. With, with all of those questions around, she, she runs to tell her cousin about the news. Elizabeth, Elizabeth opens the door when she gets there, and, and we're told that the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, that the baby leaps. And Mary sings out, my soul, it magnifies the Lord. She finds joy in this holy disruption. Now, it, it definitely didn't start that way, right? She was terrified at first. But after she accepts that God was in the middle of all that was happening, after she, she kind of grasps that she gets to be a part of this extraordinary story, and that, and that she could share that journey with loved ones, she finds joy. I think it's fair to say that, that none of us are going to have our plans thrown off to the same degree that, that Mary did or in the same exact way that Mary did. But her story reminds us to look for places where God is on the move, even when our plans don't match up with our expectations, even if our, our plans don't match up or prepare us for what we think is coming. The Gospel of Luke goes into a, a good amount of detail with, with Mary's side of the story, from the conversation with the angel Gabriel in Nazareth to, to the few months that, that she spent, three months, we're told, waiting with Elizabeth and Zechariah in their house. In the Gospel of Matthew, so Luke gives us kind of Mary's side, but the Gospel of Matthew gives us Joseph's side. So starting in Matthew Chapter 1 at, at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son 
And you are to give him, you are to give that son the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So every once in a while, you meet one of those, those people. You run into one of those people. Maybe you are one of those people who, who are just incredibly optimistic. And not in a fake way, not in a, a forced way, but, but one of those, those types of, of people who, who just always see the good in others, who can always find the good in every circumstance. There was a woman at one of my previous churches who was, was this type of, of person. She had faced all kinds of, of challenges in her own life, but somehow she found a way to always remain positive. And whenever I would, I would ask her about it, she would, she would say the same thing. She would say, Dave, I've always believed that if you make a friend of change, you've got a friend for life. If you make a friend of change, you've got a friend for life. She had mastered the art of finding joy in disruption, but also in adapting to to inevitable and and unforeseen challenges. It's definitely a learned skill, one that would benefit really any of us, all of us, especially in a rapidly changing world like the one we find ourselves in now. And, And one, a skill that Joseph had to learn Two, Matthew tells us that upon hearing that Mary was pregnant, Joseph's first intention was to to kind of divorce her quietly, to to just kind of go away quietly. In that time and in in that culture, marriage, it it really had three steps. First, there was the engagement, which was essentially a a contract between families. So if you were a, a young girl coming of age, your, your dad or maybe your uncle might go to a friend's family, a friend's family who had a son. Maybe this was a friend who was a neighbor. Maybe it was a, a friend from, from church, from synagogue. And, and, and you would play matchmaker as a dad or as an uncle or maybe even an older brother. So that was the first stage. Then there was the betrothal stage. Today we would just call this dating. It would last about a year, and and it would be very public, so everyone in town would be aware that these two people were a couple, that they belonged together. They were an item. The the couple, at this point, wouldn't necessarily live together, but but they'd they'd spend all kinds of time in, in the houses of one another's family, getting to know each other, getting to know the story of one another's family, just just really getting to know each other. And this is where Mary and Joseph were in their relationship. This, this is where they were. And, and, and the only way a betrothal could end, even in this time, was, was by a divorce. So then there was marriage, and that would come after a year or so of this betrothal. And, and the couple, really, this is when they would start 
their own family. So Matthew writes, Matthew tells us that Joseph was faithful to the law, or as some translation put it, that he was a a righteous man. He thought, I can't overlook this. I can't overlook what happened. And because I'm devout, I follow the Hebrew law, I, I certainly shouldn't celebrate what happened with Mary. So, so the right thing to do is to just end it. Just, just call off the wedding and, and kind of go away quietly. Now, there's two kind of dominant theological interpretations of, of Joseph's decision that he has to make here. One is that he was angry with Mary. He assumed the worst. And, and two, could have been that he was just terrified of her. So he was angry with her or he was terrified of her because she was telling him the truth. And that would carry all different kinds of expectations for him. I'm guessing he was experiencing a little bit of both, anger and terror, on top of all kinds of other emotions, all at once. So an angel of the Lord shows up to him and and says, don't be afraid. Same thing the angel Gabriel says to Mary and kind of lays it all out. Another holy disruption. Joseph is invited to adapt, and his plans change. Matthew makes a a point by by pointing to prophecies out of the Hebrew Scriptures that Joseph surely would have known, using names that that he surely would have known as well. Yeshua, which in Greek translates to Jesus, and in in English translates to Joshua, a, a name that in ancient Hebrew literally means Yahweh, Saves or may Yahweh save. And Emmanuel, God with us, the, the name that we often remember during the Christmas season. Now, now this name, Emmanuel, God with us, is important throughout the entirety of Matthew's gospel. And, and, and more so than Yeshua, it, it probably caught Joseph off guard. Joseph would would have, have heard rabbis and, and teachers. He, he would have heard them telling stories using the title Emmanuel, but in a very different way. It, it was a title or a name that was, was reserved for a, a person God would work through to deliver his people. But it was, was more understood as being figurative than, than literal. So whenever we read about people being with God in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scripture, there are stories that that don't exactly paint a a picture that that we typically see when we think of Jesus with a, a nice, cuddly, newborn baby in a manger. God appears to Abraham in a pillar of fire. To to Job in in what is kind of described as a, a hurricane of sorts. And to Moses, Moses is said to see God's face, and if he did, it would would kill him. So if Abraham, Job, or Moses, if they all heard that Emmanuel, God with us, was, was coming, they would be ecstatic because they had always wanted to see God, to be near God, but they would be terrified too. And Joseph knew, knew those stories. He knew those guys. So, so he responds to the angel by, by proving that, that yes, He's faithful to God, but in a totally different way than he intended. He adapts. He doesn't leave Mary, and he does what the angel of the Lord asks him to do. 
Now, I think it's, it's pretty safe to, to assume that as Mary and Joseph visited one another's home during that, that time where they're, they're dating, that engagement time, as they got to know one another, as they heard stories about grandparents and aunts and uncles, visits from angels were the furthest things from their mind. What happened to Elizabeth and Zechariah wasn't on their mind. As they had those conversations about how their future might look together, it didn't involve all that the Christmas story entails. And yet, as their future, as their plans were disrupted, they respond with joy and they respond with a willingness to adapt to what God had set out in front of them. So as we respond to all of the uncertainties of our our world today, I want to invite us to look for the places where God is still moving in our midst. And may we respond in the same way with joy and a willingness to adapt. Amen.